Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, as I am each and every month, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Craig Joseph. He's the Chief Medical Officer at Nordic Consulting Partners. Craig, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me once again. So uh, in our news you can use, uh, continue trending and uh, buried in the name of the virus, 19. Uh, that was the year 2019. Here we are almost at the end of 2022, and we continue to discuss it. But it seems like uh, it ain't over yet. Uh, what's going on? It's, um, it's back, <laughs> and it's better than ever. Well, um, so here's the good news. The good news is that deaths from COVID-19 are down. They're right. down in the U.S., and they're down uh, throughout most of the world. And that's probably because... Um, most of us have either had the had the disease or had a vaccine for the disease. Um, and we have uh, we understand it more. So we have new medications that can help treat the disease. Plus, even if we didn't have that, we know much more than we did. So we, we know what works in the ICU and what doesn't work in the ICU. So so that's great news. And undeniably, fewer people are dying in the United States and, and around the world. The Bad news is that the virus continues to mutate and and uh, changes changes um, the the spike proteins especially, which is where most of our vaccines and our natural immunity try to attack, um, keep changing. And so it seems like it's always one step ahead of us in terms of uh, vaccine, you know, vaccine uh, manu design and and manufacture. And so um, that's the bad news. Uh, plus, winter is coming. Which also seems to be uh, bad news because we know well, it's you mean a, a new, new series of Game of Thrones. It's not that winter. <laughs> it's it's um, although it might be. One never knows, really. Um, uh, no, Ice so walkers walk among us. It, uh, hey, scary things have happened. There's a there's a new prequel which I highly recommend also for Game of Thrones. But I think we might be. That's a different podcast. Uh, uh, no spoilers here. So uh, got it. The different it's a different podcast. So winter is coming, getting back to what uh, I was saying earlier. And so we know all respiratory viruses tend to be more common because we tend to be inside more, which means we're around other people more. And uh, so that's that's a thing. And so certainly COVID-19, um, we are worried that it's going to be back. And, and we know that, uh, um, well, I should say back, it never left us, but that it might become more serious. Fewer people are getting the the vaccine, the booster, which right. is optional, uh, available for everyone in the United States, I think over age five. So as long as it's been two months since your last vaccine, you are eligible for a booster vaccine. And this one is based on uh, um, a lot of the Omicron um, uh, signature. And so it's more up to date, which uh, is it ready for the virus that we're seeing today? No, <laughs> it takes us months and months to get up to that. However, it's closer. And so uh, I think something like 7% of eligible U.S. Uh, citizens have, uh, or residents have gotten the, the uh, booster, and that is not a good thing. Everyone should, be, should get this, and now is the time to do it. 
It, it is kind of shocking that that's the case. I mean, we here we have readily available. I, I do believe that there's some challenges around the uh, cost of this because the rules that were enacted as part of the pandemic and the response said all of this would be free, including the COVID testing and the vaccinations. Now, I, I don't know if this is quite rolled into this point, but it feels like there is some challenges that... You know, I, I come from a system where, you know, this is freely accessible at, at the point of care. I think, you know, we should be doing that, particularly with preventative. And, you know, I, I certainly recall through most of the years that I've been here that I see adverts in almost all of the places that offer vaccination, that flu vaccination is free in many of the places that offer it. That's the uh, the part of the twindemic that people are talking about. I'm not sure, and, and I don't know. It's in, I'd be interested to hear if you have any thoughts around the, the cost issue. But there's another one. Uh, people call it RSV, and that's probably because they hate pronouncing respiratory syncytial virus. And I know I said that wrong because I probably get the respiratory piece wrong uh, as I've been doing for years, but it took years for somebody to actually tell me that I was pronouncing it wrong and I can't change at this point. Um, but can we do something about that? And, you know, so I, what what are your thoughts? So first of all, you need to learn English. Uh, so it's respiratory syncytial virus, but it's still RSV. You got that. You pronounced the three letters correctly. So oh, thank God. Kudos <laughs> to you on that. So as a pediatrician, I'm very uh, aware of RSV. It's something that uh, uh, pretty much every human gets. Um, and generally, I would see it in um, under two or three. By the time you're two or three years old, you've probably had RSV. And it's like the common cold. It's a uh, typically a minor virus. However, for little young, little lungs, it can be it can be bad. Also for people who are immunocompromised or elderly who um, uh, most likely have had it, but uh, maybe don't have the ability to fight it off. It can be a, a, it can be a problem. And so certainly I've hospitalized my fair share of, of healthy kids, um, young kids under two or three typically with, with RSV. And so what's happening today is that um, we are seeing RSV in numbers that are requiring hospitalization for children uh, that we don't normally see this early in the season. And uh, so that worries us because if we're seeing a lot of kids being hospitalized for RSV now, uh, what happens in peak season? And the thought process as to why this is happening is COVID. So for the last two years, uh, these kids who are, were born during the pandemic, they were never exposed to RSV. Why? Because they were hardly exposed to antiviruses because we were doing such a good job of trying to mitigate. People were not going into large groups. People were wearing masks and doing that kind of thing that, that helps decrease all respiratory uh, viruses. And so, and so now we're stuck. Uh, what can we do for RSV? Uh, precious little. It's supportive care for the vast majority. We do have um, uh, antibodies that we can give to uh, uh, very premature kids during RSV season, but that's uh, few and far between. So for most kids, it's simply supportive therapy. And again, the vast majority of children will come in uh, uh, to the pediatrician and, and will say, oh, you've got uh, most likely RSV, we could test, but since there's no medicine for it, I, we generally don't test unless you're very sick and end up in the emergency room or the hospital. And if you do, uh, you generally end up with bronchiolitis, which is some wheezing, 
Again, we give supportive therapy for those kids. Sometimes they need oxygen. Sometimes they need even more support, but there's no specific medication for RSV. So we're, we've been worried about the, the uh, two uh, viruses. We've been worried about uh, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes um, COVID-19, and we've been worried about the flu. And now we have a third that no one really, I think, anticipated, um, which was RSV. Uh, so now all of those are happening at the same time. And so what can you do? Uh, anyone who's six months or older can get a flu shot. And remember, a flu shot, uh, you need a new one every year because it's, again, trying to predict the variants that we're going to see. And um, I think everyone who's five or older could get a COVID-19 booster shot. Again, those are different vaccines. That's a slightly different vaccine than the primary series that we've, we've all had or many of most of us have had. And, and the uh, one key thing that people who have listened to uh, us uh, already know, uh, but I think it bears repeating, is the goal of both of these vaccines is not to prevent you from getting sick. That would be awesome. It would be awesome if you got a flu shot and then you could not get the flu. That would be great. That is not how this vaccine works, nor is it how the COVID-19 vaccine works. Both of them are meant to prevent you from ending up in the hospital or dying if you get those two diseases, right? And so, so what that means is if you get the flu shot, does it mean you can't get the flu? No, but what it means is it significantly decreases your chances of ending up in the emergency department if you get the flu. And that's the goal. And that's what we're trying to prevent. And um, by that measure, these are both are highly uh, successful vaccines. And and so people need to set their expectations appropriately. Still might get the flu, still might get COVID. However, it should be a minor thing and uh, um, uh, less chances of you being uh, very sick. And uh, for long COVID too, we think that uh, you decrease your chances by 30 to 40% of having long COVID um, if, you're, if you're properly vaccinated. So lots of benefits. And so that's what people can do about it. Can't do anything about RSV at this point. So I, I think, you know, great uh, uh, guidance there. Um, I would just only reaffirm that. I think, you know, the position from both of us has been pretty clear. Uh, get the appropriate vaccination. I have. I had the double dose. I got uh, flu in one side, COVID in the other. Uh, interesting experience this time. It was the least painful um, and, you know, for the most part, not problematic for me generally, but I, I didn't even notice it. Um, maybe because I've had so many vaccinations in the last several <laughs> months as a result of COVID-19. I'm not sure. But uh, and my post reaction was, you know, very mild um, and ideal from my perspective. So fully vaccinated, uh, best for protection. And in the case of RSV, that's supportive therapy, as you've uh, carefully described. But I think being aware um, and, you know, obviously monitoring that, that's going to be important. So I think good advice and, and as clear as it can be. Um, moving on, our next uh, topic, uh, talking about security. And, you know, from my own personal experience, uh, I was uh, unfortunate enough to get simjacked uh, in the past uh, several weeks. And uh, people ask, what is simjacking? Well, uh, briefly, uh, it's taking over your cell phone number. So somebody impersonated or fraudulently managed to transfer my cell phone number 
over to themselves. They also help themselves to a nice brand new uh, um, Samsung Galaxy. I think it's an S20. I'm not in that domain, so I don't know them well. Uh, that he charged to my account. Um, nice of him, which I have to uh, deal with as well. But the important thing was he actually took over my phone number and you go, Oh, oh, great. He can carry on doing all my work and do all of those things. But actually, this is a uh, a very sophisticated attack that allows him then to go after uh, accounts that I own where those accounts have two-factor authentication. So I have a user ID and password. And then when I try and log in, the system says, ah, we, we're not sure that this is you. Let us send you a text message uh, to confirm that this is you. And typically it's a six digit code, although there is one exception. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I can't remember. I think it, oh, I won't even name them. It'd be unfair because if I get it wrong, but they insist on a, an eight digit code, which is actually quite difficult for us to remember and then type in. The six digit code is more than sufficient because it changes every 30 to 60 seconds. So it's not repeatable. But anyway, side issue. Um, and uh, very quickly after obtaining my uh, cell phone number and my phone stopped working, he then proceeded to attack my bank account, obtain my user ID, and then attempted to reset my password. And uh, as part of the post, I'll post a, a link to um, a full forensic uh, detail of this, but um, I was about three minutes away from losing control of my bank account. Um, and it was, I, I've got to say, and I'm, I feel uh, reasonably experienced in security issues. I talk about it extensively. I think I understand a fair amount of this. And I think I do most of the things that I should do. But I was uh, a little bit shaken by the whole experience. And uh, it certainly blew a good three or four days of activity that I've now had to subsequently follow up and change things and take a number of other steps. But uh, it was very concerning. Well, it was not only concerning to you, you, you posted it um, and, and went through almost minute by minute what, what happened. And um, I, I became concerned. And I, I thought that I was in a pretty good position, understood some of these things. And yeah, it, uh, it's a scary, scary thing, and I think it's um, it's a worthwhile it's a worthwhile event to talk about so that people can be become aware. We're we're generally not here as cybersecurity experts. Um, however, I think there's some basic things that you can do to help minimize the chances of this happening. And boy, if someone uh, wants to create a fake driver's license uh, with information that you know is yours, but they've just put their face on it. Um, they're serious and they're, they're, they're coming for you. And so to do everything you can to, to make that as difficult as possible is, is, uh, makes sense. And so, you know, adding those set that second factor, uh, to all of your, all of your financial accounts or any, any online account that you think is important. Um, and then ideally that second factor, as you just pointed out, should not be a text message because it's so easy to, to steal your phone number. It's not supposed to be, uh, but it is. And so uh, using a, a, a piece of software to authenticate is a, a much safer thing. And as you said, it gives you a different code every uh, 30 seconds, or at least the ones I've used. So every 30 seconds, you get a six digit code and um, it's tied to the, the, uh, the time and to your user ID. And so then that person actually needs to have your phone 
not your phone number, your phone. And, uh, and it's generally pretty difficult to get your phone from you. And uh, once or even if they get your physical phone, they would still need a bunch of pieces of, um, of uh, your username, password, other kinds of identifying features to get into that app. And so certainly it's, it's super scary. And I'm so glad that you were able to catch this thing as it was happening. As it was happening. Yeah, that I think was probably the most uh, scary part of it from my perspective was um, it, it would be a, a a small step away for a very brief period of time, which happens fairly frequently for me, and I wouldn't have been aware. For those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and today I'm talking to Dr. Craig Joseph. He's the chief medical officer at Nordic Consulting Partners. We're focusing on news you can use. In this particular case, it's a little bit of news about me and my simjacking experience. And I would say uh, primary guidance throughout all of this is to make sure you have two-factor authentication and preferably two-factor authentication where you have the choice that's an app uh, on your phone, as in Authenticator, which I think uh, people are probably familiar with. That was the Google. I think it still exists, but there are a number of actually uh, better improved versions of it. Um, improved because they allow you to flip over to a new phone, which people do um, fairly frequently, and it can be a bit of a pain in the neck to actually go back, uh, as I discovered when I had this uh, very early on. But um, certainly most concerning, and I think... Um, uh, you know, w worthwhile for folks to really pay attention to. Um, moving on, um, let's talk a little bit about the um, uh, pediatric uh, report that came out uh, just recently, uh, Adverse Childhood Experiences and Adolescent Police Contact. And in summary, what they said uh, in a survey, this was uh, of, uh, out of the United Kingdom. It was uh, published in the American Academy of Pediatrics, but they looked at about 11,000 or so uh, more adolescents um, who uh, they went uh, essentially to measure um, what was happening in their childhood. And they categorize this as adverse childhood experiences. You ask, well, what, what's that? That's traumatic events, abuse, neglect, you know, household dysfunction. Um, I'm not sure how broad that is, but essentially, the more of that that you had, the much higher chance you had as you uh, moved into adolescent years of having uh, interactions with police. And in this case, police stops, um, which included um, not just um, being stopped, but, you know, being stopped, questioned, warned, cautioned, um, and indeed even arrested. And there's a part of me that says, well, I guess that's not surprising, but why would, you know, at the age of five or so, those traumatic events lead to that? I'm curious about your thoughts. Well, like you said, I, it's, um, it's, it's not surprising, yet it's uh, horribly uh, surprising and disappointing. Um, you know, it's, I think uh, uh, it's a bunch of these little things. And so just having contact with, um, with the police with a, in, a, in a negative way at a very young age over, over multiple years, um, ultimately, uh, scientifically now we know, shows that you're going to be at greater risk uh, for being involved in the in the in the with police in a, in a negative way, and um, the, the the conclusion of the article is, hey, we we should do everything that we can to intervene when kids are very young, like before adolescence, uh, to to make sure that they're um, 
that both they are not looking at the police in an overly negative way, but also to make sure that the police understand that uh, every interaction that they have is a potential um, uh, negative, uh, can have a potentially negative effect uh, a decade later. And, and uh, you know, something such as a frisk or a search, um, even without force, um, right. you know, uh, can, can cause, understandably, problems um, years and years later. And so I think this is one of those things where, yeah, it makes sense, uh, but no one's ever really shown that it happens and that, it, that it's got negative long-term um, consequences. Well, now, now we have some of that, some of that evidence. And so um, these things that seem on the outside as, well, it's not that, you know, I, I'm thinking about in New York with the stop and frisk right. uh, rules that, that used to be in place. Well, you know, these people are in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and uh, um, doesn't hurt to just talk to them a little bit. Well, that's, that's actually not what's, what's happening. And, and, um, and we're starting to see some, some evidence that the, the deleterious effects, again, as you mentioned, this was in, in the UK, not in the U S but, I think it makes sense to extrapolate and say that, yep, that's a that's a similar thing. Right. I, I you know, it's it's hard not to sort of emphasize the point, but you know, interactions with people in an official capacity in a uniform, all of that is is not just, hey, it's like meeting somebody on the street. It's just not the same. And I think the importance is to understand that and then start to mitigate that as much as possible because you know we we need to Im improve that uh, overall um so uh let's talk a little bit about epic um and the ai um they have the sepsis ai that's been trending um we've uh, you know seeing some challenges and you know overall obviously good intent here trying to find sepsis and but it, it's proving not to be quite as helpful or as good um, as they thought. And, you know, there's a real sense that perhaps we should be, you know, there should be some oversight. Maybe there's, you know, something to it there. Well, so let's just kind of dig a little deeper. Uh, so Epic is a big uh, vendor of uh, electronic health records. Uh, and we should note that I used to work there. So uh, I just want to call that out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the attempt from um, lots of different groups is to, is to, um, be able to help doctors take care of patients better. And as you mentioned, sepsis, which is a major infection in your body and often leads to death, um, to be able to predict that earlier than we can currently would be great. And so to try to apply artificial intelligence and other types of, of tools to that to say, hey, here, you got a lot of sick people in your hospital. You don't get in the hospital without being sick nowadays. Uh, you got a lot of sick people in the hospital, but we think these five, we, the AI, think these five are the uh, have the highest likelihood of being sick, and you really want to pay more attention to them. And um, uh, seems straightforward, uh, but it's it's um, complicated. And and so what um, uh, Epic and others who are struggling in this area to try to be successful have found is that uh, those they're, they're giving you more than five, right? So they're giving you a lot of patients and there's really no advice about what are you supposed to do? Okay, well, so the AI says this patient's at high risk. They're already being monitored. Should I start them on antibiotics or different antibiotics earlier? What, and so that's one of the major problems I think is just that, hey, thanks for that insight. 
Um, oftentimes you can't tell me why, because you're an AI and it's very complicated. So you don't really know why we think this patient's at high risk, but you think they are. And what can I do there if they're already in the ICU, they're already being monitored as closely as possible. So, so uh, one, uh, um, one scholar uh, wrote, I think over the weekend, uh, boy, if Epic, who's uh, been around for uh, three or four decades and has a very um, good quality system in, in play, is struggling, uh, boy, the, for groups that are starting out uh, who don't really understand healthcare, don't really understand workflows, don't understand how patients are taken care of, yeah, that's going to be a big, big struggle for them as well. It's it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I think great point. It's uh, this is this is not easy to do. We, I, I, you know, ultimately good intent. You know, find people before they get sick, play some intervention. I think we all want to see that, not just for sepsis, but you know, multiple other instances. But it, it's not just a hey, throw all this data in, result comes out we've got it nailed. Um, and I think, as you rightly say, and they have gargantuan amounts of data. And even with all of that, it became, I, I think what I was reading was it, it needed to be customized down to the individual level, um, you know, per site or, you know, so uh, how you generalize AI has been a recurring theme and a recurring problem. And I think that's one that we really need a lot of focus on. Uh, unfortunately, as we do each week, we've run out of time. So it just remains for me to thank you, as always, for joining me. Um, and uh, I will look forward to next month. Craig, thanks for joining me. It was great. Can't wait till the next time. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, The Incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. Evolution.